Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Welcome to the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix, look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts, Joel, Simon, Casey, and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Yes, venturing through the California wasteland with a trader named Vic. On our way to find the fabled Garden of Eden creation kit. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. I am your host, Joel J.B. Fury Beauchene, and with us this week, as always, are the DG crew, starting with the PC gamer, the Sultan of Steam, enjoying the reports on Redfall, the bug-filled gift that keeps on giving from longtime podcast <laughs> listener Pud Hamilton, it's Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Welcome to the show, Fergus. Oh, JB, thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, some of the uh, screenshots coming out of that game are um, quite comical. <laughs> And thoroughly disturbing. <laughs> also with us this week, we have the gaming chef, the Earl of Emotional Damage, barely able to peel his sleep-deprived eyeballs from Game of the Year frontrunner Zelda Tears of the Kingdom for long enough to record this very podcast. It's Simon Steely McLaughlin. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Steely. Thank you so much, JB. I was on the fence, everyone. I was on the fence of whether or not that I felt like doing the podcast this week just because <laughs> I wanted I wanted to play Tears of the Kingdom so badly. My mouth is over-salivating. So we're going to wrap it up I, early tonight, guys. I can't cope. <laughs> I need to get my fit. That, ah, <laughs> yum. Get it in me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I have sobs. <laughs> I'd be if you know if I knew I didn't if I didn't know I didn't have semen in my mouth right now. I'd assume I did. Is that tacky and frothed? Oh, wow. Guys. Oh, that's so fucking disgusting. Enough to talk after that. Just a whole load of Nintendo cum in my mouth. Oh. Stop. All right, enough. Wait the kids up. Jeez. Finally, with us, uh, we've got the Nintendo Queen. Oh man. <laughs> Pistol, <laughs> pisty Pete, the pissed. <laughs> Still curiously obsessed with Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door, and not afraid to tell everyone who'll listen. It's Casey C Mac McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, C Mac. Thanks, thanks, Joel. I don't, I don't even know what to say anymore. So <laughs> start this, start this thing. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, to kick things off this week, uh, I wanted to give some first impressions of uh, a little game called Resident Evil Village, but <clears throat> this time in VR. So I bought this uh, probably two weeks ago. It was on it was on sale. Uh, so that was the main reason that I bought it. But uh, secondly, uh, <laughs> because I wanted to try out what was considered one of the the main launch titles for the PSVR 2. And I think uh, I can actually sum it up in one word, terrifying. Uh, I don't think I've ever found a game more frightening than this. 
the fact that it's in VR amplifies the effect of this game enormously. Uh, I probably only played about three hours worth uh, so far, but in that uh, time, uh, what I saw was both mind-blowingly impressive and also pants-shittingly frightening. Um, <laughs> there is a, a scene towards the beginning of the game uh, where Ethan's wife is shot to death in front of the player as you're sitting down to have dinner. Uh, and it only gets uh, better from there. The the truck that you are taken away in after being kidnapped uh, crashes, and after you regain consciousness, you need to walk through a dark and snowy forest where shit is happening just in the peripherals of your vision or just ahead of you in the darkness, and you can't quite see what it is, but it's no like thanks. it's all happening and, and like there's shit running to the left of you, running to the right. You can't see exactly what it is, but there's something out there. Then something will get dragged away in front of you and, you know, eaten or whatever, and you're like, fuck, what's all this? And it's so dark, you can't quite make out what's going on. Uh, so terrifying. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, uh, there's some messed up uh, stuff that you find, such as dozens of crows that are all dead and hanging from the trees by ropes. Uh, and of course, as you're making your way through this uh, this crow sort of curtain, if you like, uh, one of them just uh, starts squawking, and it's actually still alive. And it uh, it's a good little jump scare yeah. that they uh, <laughs> snuck in there for you. Um, so, in addition to that, eventually you get to a village, and you get attacked by a bunch of people that look like zombies. Um, and one of them, uh, as as he attacks you, the player sort of puts his hand up to push the, the zombie's face away and your little finger and ring finger happen to go into the zombie's mouth and he just bites those two fingers off. <laughs> and then you're playing the rest of the game without those two fingers. And as you sort of hold up your hand in front of your face with the VR controller... You can see a stump where your uh, ring finger used to be with a little bit of bone poking out the top uh, and it's all mm. bruised and bloodied and it's it's absolutely <laughs> revolting. Um, so, uh, you know, I, in all honesty, I don't know if I want to go back mm. and play more. Yeah. Um, but I probably will because I don't feel I've yet got the Ferg <laughs> Fergus Hamilton endorsed uh, one hour of uh, <laughs> per uh, value per dollar spent. So, uh, yeah. Oh, um, I mean, that was going to be my question to you, JB. Is is it that realistic and that terrifying that you actually don't want to play the game? And it sounds like they've done such a good job of just scaring the player shitless that you yeah, actually can... Cause, I mean, yeah. I'm not a um, a huge horror guy as far as watching movies or playing games, but you know, the saving grace for those things are is you can put a pillow over your face in a movie. You can stop it. You can get up and walk away from you know your your computer screen just to catch your breath. Whereas in VR, there is no escaping what's sort of playing out in front of you. So I just mm. it sounds like a truly horrific um, experience, and it sounds like it's yeah having such an impact that you're sort of like eh, I don't know if I'm in the mood for this right now. Well, imagine um, sitting in a house in the dark, all the lights are off, mm. playing a survival horror game on your, mm. your favourite console. Uh, now imagine that your TV <laughs> wraps around your entire field of vision yeah. and 
every other source of light is completely blocked out by the headset. Mm. You've got headphones on, so you, your ears are only hearing what's being fed mm. to your ears by the headphones. And basically, you're fully immersed in that environment. And, you know, where you actually move your hands in real life is where you're moving your hands in the game. And just on the the way that they've implemented VR in the game, I think they've done an incredible job. Like, um, for those of you who've had the opportunity to play Pavlov VR, where you've got a certain button that ejects the magazine, you pull a spare magazine off your belt and load it into the gun, physically, you know, cock the gun to reload it and all of that. These are all implemented in Resident Evil Village VR as well. And that takes the immersion to a whole nother level. And maybe that's what makes the game so much more terrifying. The immersion level in this yeah. game is like next level. Um, so graphically, I think the game is good, but it's slightly below where I feel um, Call of the Mountain sits. Like to me, Call of the Mountain is still the pinnacle of where I think VR visuals sit. But, uh, I mean, Resident Evil Village is still way up there. And, look, if you're a fan of the survival horror genre, it's a must, must play. Like, definitely have a look at it because you'll shit yourself. Um, and I think... Let me add it. Even if you're just a fan <laughs> of VR, like, give it a go. Uh, even if you're not a fan of the genre, and I'm not typically a fan of the survival horror genre... Um, it's an, an entirely different experience um, in VR. It's fucked. Mm. Um, but, <laughs> you know, as gamers, that's what we're always on the hunt for, a new experience. So uh, get amongst it. Yeah, nice. Um, all right. Well, I'd rather piss in my own mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, uh, yes. Steely, for that, gamer. for that assessment. I don't want to be terrified like that. I'd rather piss in my own mouth. <laughs> Well, and just on that, I mean, we, we were talking about PS VR two the other week, and just our first impressions after giving it a go. One thing I don't think I commented on, I can't remember anyone else commenting on, is the sound is actually unbelievable as well. Like the headphones and the mm. sound quality, and that just adds to the immersion. And I can imagine just yeah, um, just the sound of people coming after you, and just you know the deafening silence that this game will have in, diff in different moments, I'm sure, is equally as terrifying, yeah. especially when you don't have vision and you're relying on ears and stuff like that. So, mm. Yeah, it it really takes the concept of a horror movie to a whole other level, yeah, yeah. and it's, it is fucking terrifying. Like, mm. um, I, I can't say it in any other way. Like, uh, there's probably people out there that are thinking, oh, this guy's a real sook, real wuss, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, no. but... It's fucked. No, I don't think that'd be JB. Uh, well, thanks, Steely. Coming from somebody with a rather put a crochet hook down the eye of my urethra, <laughs> one of which Casey is wielding currently, I'd gladly put it in there before I'd sit in the VR and play Resident Evil Village in VR. Yeah. I mean, there it is terrifies a... me that much. I don't want that. There's a side of me that's like, oh. I value what sleep I get. Yeah. There's a side of me that's like, yeah, I wouldn't mind just giving it a go, but then if I'm being real. I don't think so. I don't think this is one for me either. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll put a pin in that because, uh, you know, there might be an opportunity for uh, one or more of you to come around and... Yeah. Like, I'm high on the game. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll put a pin into the eye of your dick. Uh, all right, next, uh, we're, we're going to throw over to you, Ferg, for a bit of news uh, coming out this week. Bit of news coming out, yeah, this week. I mean, everyone's mourning the loss of E3 for 2023. Maybe we're not surprised that it no, didn't get off the ground. I don't know. Maybe maybe we are a little bit. But guess what, guys? I've got some news. I'm going to refer to a Press Start article. June is absolutely crammed of a number of different gaming showcases. So mm. typically this would be the month um, where E3 would be happening, but it's not here. But everyone else is doing something. So I'm going to quickly rip through some of the um, gaming showcases coming up in the month of June um, for those who are interested. So... Um, yeah, so E3 may have been cancelled for this year, but it doesn't mean there aren't plenty of other huge gaming events and showcases to get excited about this June. The list is massive, and with everything slowly being penciled into the schedule, Press Start, who I'm reading their article from, thought they would put together a handy little guide to all the presentations, streams, events, and celebrations happening over the month. Mm, give it to so us. So here we go. It all starts off on June the 2nd, MetaQuest Gaming Showcase. So obviously the Oculus... Studios guys are, uh, got their showcase on, so haven't given a lot of detail about what they're going to be showing, but obviously their games, their tech. So if you're a, a VR, particularly a MetaQuest VR enthusiast, 2nd of June. Mm, um, amongst it. That one is coming. Following that, June 8th, we've got the Gorilla Collective Showcase. So the mixed team is preparing showcases to reveal fresh announcements, trailers, gameplay, a Steam event page for wish listing, wish listing demos, game ordering, and yada yada yada. Um, so typically this will be indie sort of release games, not your big AAA. So this is all things indie games on June the eighth at the Gorilla Collective Showcase case. So when you say Gorilla, <laughs> it's not like Gorilla Games like no. Horizon. No, I West. don't think so. I think okay. this is someone completely different. Is my understanding. Okay. Or maybe that uh, that last sound effect was a little too epic for that one. <laughs> too epic for it. Um, yeah. The next day is probably the biggest one, which is Summer Games Fest, which is uh, Jeff Keighley's little show that he likes to run. So it's back at the YouTube theatre and streaming live around the world. It promises announcements and updates from some of industry's leading publishers, platforms and studios, but it's still being kept mostly under wraps, although we can be fairly certain that Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty DLC will be a big feature. So, mm. yeah, I mean, as far as the developers and, and guys that are going to be at the Summer Games um, showcase, it, there's a whole stack of big names. So you get Square Enix, um, Xbox, Ubisoft, Activision, Capcom, just to name a few. And then uh, Sega's there, Techland... So that one should yield some some interesting things to look at, one would think. So that's the Summer Games Fest, June 9th. Um, June 11th, Future Game Show. So Games Radar is back with another Future Game Show, promising over 40 new trailers for upcoming games across PS5, Xbox, Switch, PC, and VR. Next on June 12th, Final Fantasy 16 pre-launch celebration. So anyone who's looking or hanging out for the new Final Fantasy game, June 12th is, yeah, they're basically doing a big pre-launch celebration. Who knows what they'll be showing at this point. The game's scheduled, I think, to come out on the 20th or maybe just over a week after. So that's a bit of a kickoff celebration. So for. I'll play, I'll play a fucking Final Fantasy game when they actually tell me the truth and the title of the fucking game and it's the Final Fantasy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Take it back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought the original Final Fantasy was the final one. <laughs> and it's, it's not been. Well, there's been a fucking shitload more after gonna, that. I was going to say, well, I'm I mean, this at. is Final Fantasy 16. They, they might, I don't know, be going for 100. Well, Jeez. Final Fantasy <laughs> creators will be. Mind, or at least tell me it's the 16th. <laughs> To the end of the fantasies, not the final one. I'm tired yeah. of it, everyone. I'm Steely sick wants, of that. Steely wants a Final Fantasy 16 out of 100. Mm. I find your lack of faith. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, not to be overshadowed, but on the same day, June the 12th, the Xbox Games Showcase is on. So join oh. Xbox for some new surprises and first looks from internal studios as well as its many <laughs> creative partners from around the world. The Xbox Game Showcase is set to give viewers a massive look of what's ahead for Xbox, PC and Game Pass. The more highly broken fucking first-party titles. Just be... <laughs> yeah, it's just going to be a fucking show of patch notes. Basically, yeah, uh, it'll be uh... Phil Spencer up there with a <laughs> with a whiteboard clicker going. So these are all the patch notes, are all the fuck ups that we've done over the years, and yep. um, we'll, please uh... still buy our next console. <laughs> yeah, and then apologising to all the people who've bought Xboxes for how fucked they are. Um, well, uh, Phil, right. mm-hmm. Phil, thirty frames per second, Spencer. I did listen to a podcast earlier in the week where he's saying they do have things to show. So, but we, okay. we'll see with bated breath. Um, some things they've talked about previously and some mm. new stuff. So time will tell on June the 12th. And obviously followed by that will be the Starfield Direct, which I'm sort of hanging out for. So um, directly following the Xbox Game Showcase, the Starfield Direct will virtually invite fans inside Bethesda Game Studios to learn much, much more about Starfield with tons of new gameplay, developer interviews, and behind-the-scenes inside information. So obviously, big dog, mm. bloody... Rod the God, Todd. Mm. Todd Tod- the God Howard. Todd the God Howard, that's the one, not Rod. Todd, he'll be strutting around. That's of, his brother, yeah, Rod. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what else we've got? Steely, just tune out for a second here. On June 13th, we've got Ubisoft Forward. Oh. So Ubisoft is bringing its oh. A game this year oh. with a big showcase planned, both live from Los Angeles and live stream for the rest of the world, where it'll show off... The latest game updates, news, and reveals from Ubisoft Studios. Mm. Presumably, we'll see the likes of Assassin's Creed Mirage and Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, amongst others. Steely, go. Now, (laughs) this is my problem. They should stop calling it fucking Ubisoft Forward because we've already seen so far into Ubisoft's future that I, I I don't even know why you want to see that far into their future. It's just a bunch of names of games that we've not seen anything about apart from that. But they should just call it Ubisoft now and show us what's actually coming out soon Um, because Mm. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the name Ubisoft Forward. It's it's ridiculous. Forward? Fuck off. (laughs) Well, June 13, we'll see, hopefully. Emotional damage! They've got some juicy things for us to look at. Maybe uh... some... uh... Plenty of juice. Yeah, we'll be cinematic out. trailer of Assassin's Creed Mirage. Sea of Thieves DLC. Yes. <coughs> yes, the uh, skull, <laughs> skull and bones about to uh, squirt from the tip of the uh, Ubisoft penis. Yes. So anyway, JB, there's some dates coming up next month, so keep your eyes close. Um, unfortunately, looking at the timings, I didn't read them out, but you're going to have to be 
yeah, working the night shift to get to a lot of these. So mm. most of them are around the two to sort of four a.m. ish time ish. Oh, that's so, all right. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, if you're that keen, get up. If not, watch it on demand. We're going to get another state of play. <laughs> you know, uh, I I, I tell you honestly, like I I don't know when about was, all the rest of the you. Last, when was the last one? The Hogwarts Legacy one? Yeah, it might have been. I I don't know about the rest of you, but I am gagging to see some footage or or something to be revealed on uh, the Last of Us uh, factions, uh, the new uh, multiplayer Last of Us game coming out from Naughty Dog. I I'm actually really getting quite excited to see what this is going to look like, and um, I got pretty pretty high hopes for it actually. I think okay. it could it could actually be something extraordinary, like all the things that you wanted out of Fallout seventy six, but never got. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I don't think anything's been announced. Just having a look online, the last one was on April thirteenth, which was dedicated to Final Fantasy sixteen. Mm. Um, no news, <laughs> I think, on the next one. Fantasy nobody asked for. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's that's just the uh, the sub uh, the subline. All right, well, thanks for that, Ferg. We'll throw over now to uh, C-Mac, uh, Pisty, Pete, the Pist, and uh, Steely for some first impressions of a new game they might or might not have picked up last Friday. Take it away, guys. <laughs> just, just a little game. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Yeah, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? No. Nah. Nah. The Legend of Zelda, everyone. <laughs> Tears of the motherfucking kingdom. Oh, shit, did that come out? It came out. Came mm. out like a fresh no. baby with a beautiful smell <laughs> oh, that good. babies have, crying and all, bringing joy into the world. Like for the first time ever, you've seen life come into the world directly from the source. Came so yeah, we got that um on Friday. Tears of um, the Kingdom. And for our special pre-order, we got a luggage tag. So that's... um. Yeah, nice. so everywhere I go now, people know that I can, I'm a Nintendo fuckboy, basically. <laughs> I was wondering what well, that thing was. I was a bit disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit disappointed with it, to be honest. I was hoping for like a little art book or a little figure, or, I don't know, something, but a luggage tag for two people that don't go anywhere. So <laughs> I would much rather have had a tier of the kingdom given to me, but unfortunately no. But anyway. Um look, I, I've written a bit here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fire off on it and then I'm gonna let Casey chime in after. So oh, I'll chime in as you talk, um, maybe. So he, yeah, you can if you like. Let's go. Never, never in my life have I played a sequel that had that is situated in the exact same world as its predecessor, feels somewhat familiar to what came before it, yet feels so astronomically different to what came before it. Um, Tears of the Kingdom, I think, is the most impressive sequel to a video game I've ever played. Um, where, you know, last year's God of War Ragnarok was a masterpiece in so many ways, right? In, in emotional-driven storytelling, um, graphically, it's 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 beautiful as well. Um, but it was a masterpiece, right? Um, you know, Horizon Forbidden West managed to add quality of life improvements and build upon its vast lore and take you to a completely new map. It was everything that you visited was brand new in that game, which was as well fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But neither of those games introduced something so daringly different 
to what came before it, that it pushed the boundaries of what came before it to a completely new level. Now, I'm not saying that they, those games necessarily had to do that, um, but for Nintendo to turn the entire Zelda franchise on its head in 2017 and then six six years later uh, managed to make that game look like child's play and have this all running on the exact same hardware that the original came out on is a fucking magic trick. Um, it's a power yeah. move, and there is no excuse for any dev when it comes to introducing you know, um, meaningful and new innovations into their games or their sequels um, for in this game, you know, in the first four hours that we've played, I've been scared. I've been excited. I've laughed my ass off. When were you scared? Uh, I was scared when the thing fucking went. Oh, the beginning. Oh, my God. Um, that <laughs> fucking grossed me out. Um, I'm yet to cry, but I don't really mind about that one. I've done enough crying, I think, over the last few weeks. <laughs> Uh, but most importantly, I've been so caught up in the mystery, the intrigue, the vast possibilities of this Hyrule all over again, and it's blown every single standard I had for the series since Breath of the Wild up my guts and set a new bar for not just The Legend of Zelda, but for all of the devs that are going to try and make their Tears of the Kingdom clones. Um, for I have never played a better open world game and until the next Zelda game comes out, I'm afraid I never will. Um, it is absolutely fucking incredible. High praise. And that, the smallest amount of time that we've played this game, and it is just absolutely out of this world. Take it away, C-Mac. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, C-Mac. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'll see you guys later. So, um, yeah, like I'm not, as I'm not a, a fanatical like Simon is oh. about this game. It's good. Like mm. I'm enjoying it. It looks great. I was saying to Joel, you, Joel, on the weekend. Mm. I don't know. For for me, it feels the world is so similar to Breath of the Wild, which is what Simon was saying. Like I, I don't know. At some points, I feel like it's just an expansion. <laughs> Like an expansion Ooh. pack of Breath of the Wild, but like I get it, like it, it's amazing, it's brilliant. I love the new mechanics and all of that. But you guys yeah. can't hear it, but I'm ruffling through the divorce paper. I'm <laughs> saying it's a bad game. I didn't say that. Like, it's a great game. It's I can't wait to play it after this again. Like I can't wait to pick it up and play it. I'm enjoying it a lot. But yeah, like I, I'm still yet to see this huge shift. That makes it different. Are you talking about the building aspects and the? There are so many gameplay aspects that are completely different to the original. I don't even like. I think that people saying that this just looks like an expansion is a bit of a meme now, and that I. This is what aggravates. Well, I haven't get. played. I haven't. We haven't not played enough for me to formulate a proper. This is just a first impression for me. Yeah, right? my so first you... impression is like this is. So, yeah. Obviously, so much familiarity, but there. But that's so what I'm much, saying. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's more familiarity in the way that the game is definitely set in the same world. But I think that, I mean, see, this is what I was talking to Joel about on the weekend as well. You, I don't know if you remember me telling you this, Joel, but mm. God of War, Ragnarok, is set in the exact same world as the first God of War. 
you go back and you visit a lot of the same areas. You're doing a lot of the very much the same stuff. Um, to me, apart from the fact, and everyone's probably played this enough now to know that you play as a Traeus at some point. <laughs> apart from the fact that you do play as a Traeus. I it. Oh, well, Ferg hasn't played number one yet, so I'm not going to wait <laughs> 12 years until fucking <laughs> I can talk about God of War on the show. I've got a memory of a goldfish. So, sorry, Ferg. That's all right. But... <laughs> but the thing is, that game does not do anything dramatically different. You could say to yourself, oh, that feels like DLC where I get to play as Atreus. Like, arguably, you could say that because there is not that much different in the gameplay to it to the first game apart from little bits and pieces yeah. here and there. Do you, know, do you know what I think? For me, I think the main thing is that because we've been playing so slowly, guys are going everywhere and getting sidetracked, which is what the beauty of the game is. I think the amount of story that's come out has been a bit slow for me. And I think that's sort of taken, that's sort of brought me back to Breath of the Wild because we were exploring so much and the story in that was a little bit lackluster. Whereas I feel like this is because we've been taking it such a slow pace and we haven't been doing much story stuff, we've been doing lots of side stuff, that's why it feels right. like an expansion to me because it feels like we're just sort of doing all the side stuff and we're, you know, doing this, whereas I'm getting lost and forgetting what the story even is about, whereas apparently it's quite good. But, mm. yeah, like I feel like it's been a few hours of not much story. So I think that's what I'm trying to get at. So once I once I can okay. wrap my head around... I'll put the divorce papers back into the filing cabinet for now and just... <laughs> Well, I love you and I can appreciate your opinion. But, yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's take off the the rose colored glasses for just a second and have a look at what some of the other people on the internet are saying. So uh, we've got uh, I'm having a look at the moment at the Metacritic um, reviews of it. So uh, Tears of the Kingdom has scored an amazing 96 out of 100 on mm. Metacritic. Um, that's its meta score. It's got an 8.7 user score, but you've got the inevitable uh, people that just want to go on there and review bomb it just to uh, be, different. Know, be different. But you've got he, he, some of the comments from some yeah. of the critic uh, reviews. Uh, Thanks to the addition of the Ultra Hand ability, Tears of the Kingdom becomes a kind of all-round friend to every kind of gamer. Those who want to can create, puzzle, cook, unwind, and enjoy the scenery. Uh, then you've got uh, CG Magazine have said, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is easily the greatest open-world game ever made and may well be Nintendo's finest achievement. I mean, uh, a lot of these these comments are pretty high praise um, for a game that's running on hardware that's you know, six years old now. So, um, yeah. and I was saying to Steely, like one of the things that I find quite incredible, and I think Nintendo really deserve extra credit for this. Uh, when you look at uh, a game like God of War 2018, which launched on the PS4, the sequel to it came out on a next-gen console with a next-gen feel in God of War Ragnarok. Nintendo have launched Breath of the Wild, which was a critically acclaimed game on the Nintendo Switch uh, back in 2017. And mm-hmm. now they've released Tears of the Kingdom six years later in 2023 on the same hardware and somehow <laughs> enhanced the game immensely to the point where it's still scoring a 96 out of 100. And yet 
is still capable of running on that old hardware. Now, I think that in itself is is an amazing Mm. achievement. And I think Nintendo really deserve a pat on the back and a bloody round of applause for being able to accomplish that. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you go to the Metacritic and you, I think there's a hundred reviews and they're all positive except for one. And the one guy that gave it a sixty out of a hundred, like to summarise, sort of what I'm reading and got out of his article, he's basically saying if you didn't gel with the first one, you're not going to like the second one. And it's sort of like, well, that that's fair enough, but I don't think a sixty is reflective in the actual game. But anyway, that's no. that's a, that's a tidbit. Um, I got some questions, guys. Yeah, tell me. So I suppose that's probably a a good question is everyone in the DJ crew played Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. So Steely and C-Mac, what are the, in your, you know, the first handful of hours that you're playing, what are the noticeable differences between Breath of the Wild and and Tears of the Kingdom? What are the things which are like very different? Well, I'm guess. well, I don't want to give too much away with the, the new abilities, but... Um, or oh, I have given it away what they well, do. We, we already but, know what the new But I mean, like, just in terms of why clear. you have those new abilities, I uh, won't probably say that. that. Yeah, but, um, yeah, the ability, new abilities is probably, for me, the biggest change. So you can, you know, obviously you can create objects and create carts and create anything, really, in the world that you want to, like flying objects, all of that. So you can get around the world much quicker if you have the patience to make these things, which I don't. Don't have that patience. Like Simon has the creativity of a million men. Like he he loves it. And whereas I don't have that creativity, so therefore I just run everywhere. Um, so I reckon that's the more noticeable change is yeah, having those abilities, be able to rewind time on objects and stuff like that. So you can reach different areas of the map and all of that. I don't know. Um, the sky world is is a whole new world up in the sky we haven't even explored much of that yet so that's a huge difference because not only you're on the ground but you're in the sky too so i think the differences come from straight off the bat um and again i'm not going to give anything away i think it would be a, a bit of a shame to spoil the start of the story for anyone that hasn't played it but um i mean that i was saying to jb the other day that um that initial trailer that we got when it said a sequel for the breath of the wild is in development where link and zelda are walking down the chasm um that's the start of the game and there's nothing i'm not giving away anything of that but it is instantly it sets a tone it sets this darker tone it is it is all the parts mysterious and intriguing that it is um you know, sort of dark and scary. But I think what it does really well is it shows, hey, this game is about the narrative a bit more because I feel like the first game was like, you wake up and you're like, go do stuff, guy. Get help from everyone around to help defeat this thing. But whereas this, I feel like the narrative has got a lot more time traveling elements in it, which we're yet to explore, but a lot of, a lot of time elements because that's what that's Zelda's a lot, you yeah. know, Legend of Zelda. Something that Zelda does best, I think. Best is the time elements. This actually, I think, is going to utilise a lot of that sort of, yeah, mm. you know, the Majora's Mask time element, the Ocarina of Time going back and all of that. So I'm hoping yeah. that it will be a big part of it. So that's that's in a couple hours we've seen, mainly just those new abilities, the sky world and a, yeah. and a more rich story, I guess, which I'm hoping to see. There's some more. of the major differences. Obviously, the way that you can... Um, you know, find your way around by utilizing the newer uh, 
the newer fucking abilities as well is really cool um, because I was saying again to JB on the weekend, there was this part where I was climbing up a mountain and um, the mountain was super frosty and I couldn't climb up it. And I was like, I can't get up here. I don't know how to do it. And I was about to give up. And then I was like, hang on a sec. I can cut down these trees. I can put them together, turn it into like a ladder. And I I made a this ladder out of big fuck off tree logs and I put it up against the, the mountain and I climbed those tree logs mm-hmm. and I got myself up and I, I was just like, was those- that, yeah, I gone to bed. I think you are about to go to bed. Oh, um, and I was just kind of blown away by the fact that, you know, I thought in my mind, oh, I wonder if I do this, I can get up the mountain and I could. And the game gave me the freedom to do that. That was what I found. It just, I, it blew me away because I was like in the previous game, you could just climb everything and, and you climb it, you climb it and it gets a bit arduous. You climb, you climb, you climb. Whereas in this, it's like, well, if I can't climb that. How am I getting up there and how am I doing it in in an effective way that is exciting and fun? Yeah. My next question, I think you've already asked it, was the one thing that I was super curious about is how how well this was going to run on the Switch. And to echo what JB says, it sounds like they've just knocked it out the park. You know, kudos to Nintendo. Don't don't get us wrong. There is a lot of frame rate drops. Oh, is there? Okay. Um. Yeah, but then I could forgive it. I said to Simon, "Oh, I can forgive this because it's on this hardware." But yeah, it's um no, it wasn't even a lot happening. I was just walking, like there wasn't even anything. Really, when it was like up in the sky at the beginning when I was just sort of going around the edge of a tree, it just dropped really hard, and that's when I went. Oh, the only times I've noticed it, and when there's lots of stuff happening on screen, I'm picking, I'm using ultra hand, and I'm picking something up and moving. Yeah, it around. I was just walking. Um, anyway, yeah, like I don't know. I, but the the funny thing is, is that when the gameplay is solid enough, and it, it it's not like it lags to a halt. No, you know? no, no. Um, where everything feels like, oh, that's really much. I haven't really it, found it, it with bats. I haven't found it with combat. It's more with yeah, the building and yeah. sort of running quickly <laughs> around. On yeah. your own. <laughs> you never so know. Like wise, I, Nintendo yeah. might patch that out. I mean, I yeah. I remember when Forbidden West first came out, there was little issues like that as well, like where you know there was a bit of pop in, things weren't weren't running entirely smooth. Um, and they seemed to iron out those those issues in uh, a few of the first sort of patches that came out for it. So. Who knows? Maybe they've maybe Nintendo are already working on a patch to address some it's of those like, even those the pop-in's issues. Not bad in the game, you know. That's the funny thing. The pop in is not even a problem. I, I don't. I haven't noticed any. I haven't pop-in. noticed any. There is a massive draw distance in this game. Mm. So you, if you are standing at one edge edge of the map, you can almost see the other end of the map. No, you can't. But it's cloudy, but no. you can see so far. And I'm nah, it's lying. No, it's not like no. I'm not saying you can see details. I'm just saying that in some games where it would almost clear it out and it'll be completely covered by fog, or in Sonic Frontiers, something's an, a meter ahead of you, and all of a sudden it just fucking it comes in your face like a fucking two dollar. Prostitute with a fucking strap-on dildo with a cum attachment on it. Simon, why? You don't need to say that. Um, But what I'm saying is that you can see so far into the distance and it's not kind of jarring when you get close enough to it. You get closer to it and everything kind of comes in naturally and gradually. It feels right, you know? Um, 
Oh, but I yeah, bet it does. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a little bit of lube naturally. Yeah. Um, right. Are we but, are we confident yeah. we can give uh, Tears of the Kingdom a descending game a score? Uh, what are we giving no. it? Too early. No. Too early. I in would the piece? be remiss to be giving this game a score for playing it for four hours. I yeah. think that that just. I mean, I'm not a credible journalist or anything, but I think that would just make me look like a complete fuckhead <laughs> um, to give it a score at this point. Okay. Um, Check back with us next we'll week back. and we've finished the game. Yeah. Can confirm. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> fucking the double ears, ears splittingly loud. Uh, very good. Um, yes, yeah, so, I yeah, I mean, that's fine. We'll, we'll revisit the score uh, at another time. Mm. Did... Uh, did we cover this on overs and unders? Uh, I think so. We should have. I reckon we so. did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm trying to rack my brain. Uh, not, did... not organized. No, <laughs> we did. I, I think... Hopefully uh, I had that one as a an over. But yeah, but what was the <laughs> score? I would have made it. Oh, I, reckon... I don't reckon I would have done 95. Surely not. That seemed to oh, be you, I think you would have. Well, I think it would have been around 90, 92. 90 to 95, but... And I guess, uh, how are we feeling about Tears of the Kingdom being a a solid contender for Game of the Year? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think anyone could have argued that uh, Elden Ring was uh, was going to be the the front runner for most of last year. I mean, uh, Ragnarok definitely gave it a, a fair nudge, but um, I mean, Elden Ring just just uh, it broke entirely new ground. It was it was a pretty revolutionary game are we thinking tears of the kingdom has the legs to uh get nintendo through to the end of the year and still be on top look if the only thing that's coming out this year is fucking the hundredth final fantasy (laughs) some fucking piece of shit from ubisoft (laughs) and starfield it's definitely game of the year but if you Bethesda doesn't have a fucking thing on Nintendo because all their games are full of fucking bugs. Um, but yeah, so I mean, good luck to Starfield, but I don't think it's going to cut it. When, well, you've, when you've got ninety Metacritic critic scores that have given it over mm. ninety, you know you're going to be hard pressed to get a game that's going to hit a ninety six from a critical point of view in any year. So. It's going to have to take something pretty special and I'm not too sure if there's anything that's come to date. Nothing comes to mind. And then in the second half of the year, plenty of games coming out, but to push 96 is, yeah, it's definitely got to be the front runner, surely. And uh, while we're on the topic, um, I know uh, Simon and Casey know the answer to this because we spoke about it on the weekend, but I'm going to put this question to you, Ferg. Lay it on me. What is the highest rated game of all time on Metacritic? And what score did it receive? Would you know? Um, well, I've got a funny feeling. Well, obviously, Breath of the Wild is up there. I think that's not number one, but it'd be top. Is it like second or third or something? Uh, Breath of the Wild is not even in the top five. What? No. All right. You're going to have to give me a hint. I feel like I've seen this before. It's going to be something like Half-Life or something. Something All right. like that. So with a score of 99 out of 100, mm-hmm. uh, this is arguably one of the best titles to have ever graced the Nintendo 64. 
64. Mm. It's not going to be Mario Kart. It must be Super Mario 64. Incorrect. Goldeneye. We are talking Legend of Zelda Ocarina yeah. of Time. Another Zelda game. So, Fair play. Got 99. So Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time got a 99 out of 100 and is the highest rated game of all time. Oh. Uh, wow. out, give us the top, out of every platform. Can you give us the top five, JB? Yeah. All right. So in number one, we've got Ocarina of Time. Mm. Uh, number two on the PlayStation 1, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 with oh, yeah. a 98 out of 100. Oh, baby. Uh, in third mm. position on the PlayStation 3 platform, Grand Theft Auto 4. Mm. Uh, in really? fourth position... Uh, on the Dreamcast, Soul Calibur. And in fifth position, we've got Grand Theft Auto 4 on the Xbox 360. So Grand Theft Auto 4 took uh, two of the top five places, uh, interestingly. And uh, we've I'm actually... surprised that Grand Theft Auto 4 did and not five. That's pretty crazy. Well, Grand, Grand Theft... Theft Auto 4 was a fuckery shit piece. Grand Theft Auto Five doesn't enter the uh, the top mm. games until ninth position mm. behind Red wow. Dead behind Red Dead Redemption Two uh, mm. on Xbox One and also Super Mario Galaxy and Super Mario Galaxy Two. Mm. So they take sixth and seventh position respectively. So you've actually got to go down to position fourteen before you get to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. Wow, it's one of those things. There's been mm. how many games at this point? And 96 isn't even getting you in the top 10. So you can have, you know, there'd be games in any of the games in the top 100, I'd reckon, be quite good. But, you know, every every game up until uh, position 20, uh, 24 on the uh, list uh, have scored a 97 or higher. So it's a wow. pretty pretty elite um, group of games. You've got games like Halo, like the original Halo, Super Mario Odyssey, Grand Theft Auto 3, Metroid Prime, uh, Perfect Dark. I mean, there's some some really top-tier titles in that, uh, in that uh, group. But, uh, yeah, oh, just... Well, Bit of bit of interest there that uh, Zelda features so highly in that um, in that list, and uh, interestingly, Breath of the Wild um, position twenty six on the Wii Poo. Nothing so. on um, nothing by uh, Ubisoft in there, is there, JB? Uh, well, um, Assassin's Creed two would have to be in the top. Um, well, what did you say? Twenty three to ninety seven, so it wouldn't be in the top. Uh, I'm not uh, not seeing anything. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think you would either. No. Well, you know, uh, thanks for that uh, insight there, uh, Steely. Emotional damage. Expert comments from the Steelmeister. Feel the steel. Feel the steel. Um, yeah, no, I'm still I'm still <laughs> scrolling steal. through that list, and there's, uh, yeah, fucking hell, hey, you gotta go, you gotta go a, a long way down how, the list before Ubisoft makes many, a fucking appearance. How many games are on your list? A hundred? Is the top one hundred you're looking at? Uh, yeah, let's say it is. So um, what's what's the Metacritic score of the hundredth best ranked game? 
All right, number 100. Let's let's uh, quickly jump down to that and have a little look. So at number 100, we have Bioshock Infinite on PC <laughs> right. at yes. a 94 out of 100. Yeah. Deserves yeah, it's it. Probably not going to be a Ubisoft in the Fuck no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. I mean, I could I could sit here all day and scroll through them and try and find a Ubisoft title, but you get Carpal Tunnel. Um, we're not, uh, yeah, we're not <laughs> not overly optimistic that we're going to find it uh, anywhere in there. I'll have to get um, back to you on that one. But uh, anyway, um, Ubisoft, uh, you've got uh, Just Dance, so well done. <laughs> Participation award for you. Uh, all right, well that okay. uh, takes us right up to our patented novelty segment for this week. Sweet Jesus! Now, what I meant to do uh, was was oh, this. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Coming up here, guts. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh boy! For this week, uh, oh. we decided to uh, go back and revisit an idea that we've explored once before, which is games we would like to see a remaster slash sequel of. And for this, uh, we're going to kick off with Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. What have you got for us? Righto. Well, we've already had some fun facts this evening. We're learning a lot, so I'm going to drop some on this one as well. So there's one game in particular, but it's sort of a part of a series, and I'm talking none other than the Lord of the Rings movie tie-in games. Now, there's three, and it's a bit of a... So I'll, I'll talk you to it. So it starts off with, obviously, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Now, this original game was released in September of 2002, developed by WXP. It came to the Xbox first, and then it was released on Game Boy Advance, PS2, and PC. Um, this game, unlike the following two games, was based on the novel. So, you know, obviously J.R.R. Tolkien's book, and not so much an ab- 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 adaptation? Adaptation. adaptation adaptation of the adaptation. movies so it had no relation to the films um so it's a little bit separate to the other two games but i think if you're going to do a trilogy you got to release all of them so it's a remaster of one two and three so that's the first one it was followed by the lord of the rings the two towers which was released in october of 2002 which was developed by stormfront studios so it came out the next month Mm. And this was a moving tie-in game. So came out on the Xbox, PS2, Game Boy Advance, and GameCube. And you basically followed you know, the events of the movie and you more or less played them out. And this was just, I don't know, I don't think they do it quite as much as what they did back in the 90s and, and the early 2000s. It seemed like whenever a movie was coming out, there was always like a tie-in game. And so... Mm. This game, in the second one, The Two Towers, more or less came out the same time as the movie. Um, so that's the second one. And then the third one is the one that I'd get most excited about a remake or a remaster is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, which was a game that I played the most of. I didn't play the first game, played the second, but the third one, man, did I spend some hours in that game. So 
That came out the following year, November of 2003. <laughs> <laughs> Developed by EA Redwood Shores. Published Brutal. by EA. <laughs> Remaster the game, Brutal! <laughs> Put the ring on my cock. <laughs> oh, jeez, I thought that was part of the soundbite. That's actually yeah. you stealing. Yeah. Bloody hell. <laughs> this is extended, extended version. Wow. <clears throat> so, yeah, that, that came out, and that was, again, the same time. I think it came out, like, a couple of weeks before the third movie, and I just remember this game so fondly. So, if you never played any of these games, they were essentially sort of hack and slash. You played in the third third person um, and you got to play as all of the great characters. Like, you know, we talked about Gollum the other week and we were sort of saying, well, you know, why would you play as Gollum where you could, we'd want to be playing as, you know, one of the other more memorable characters. So. <laughs> 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 mm. So in this Much game. Much more of that to look forward to later this year. <laughs> yeah, not far off that one. So, yeah, you could. You but could... if you want to hear some more lines from Gollum, you're going to have to pay an extra $30. So. Yeah, and have it in, in Elvish. Elvish. Yeah. <laughs> Shove that up my fucking cock eye. There you go. There's your 30 bucks worth. There it is. So, The yeah. Return of the King, you could play as Gandalf, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, and you could play as all the hobbits. And similar to The Two Towers, it was an adaptation of the film. So, you'd basically play out all of the scenes and you sort of work through your storylines. Um, and what made this game so great? What the two towers didn't have from memory was that they had couch co-op, and the game was so much fun to play with someone else. Um, especially there was there's one mission in particular called the Southern Gate, and you can just you just indefinitely you've got not an indefinite amount of enemies, but you've just got heaps. And at some point they'd run out, but you just sit and hack and slash just orcs for like thirty I can't minutes. That. Yeah, and it's so yeah. much fun. They also introduced sort of like an environment that you could sort of. Um, used to your advantage so you could walk over to a spear that was like sort of sticking out of the ground and pick it up and throw it through an orc and stuff like this and man that game was so much fun the third one in particular so i'd love to see some remasters of all three of those games and bundled together which obviously isn't going to happen when you've got different developers and different publishers but yeah those three games in a set on at a push just the return of the king by itself amazing games and if you were into the films they were so good Mm. Loved it. Have oh. you played? Um, have you played? Uh... <laughs> what the fuck? Um, have you played uh, Shadow of Mordor or Shadow of Warfare? Two game. I've got. I think I've got both of them. I played a little bit of them, but I've never, um, yeah, spent a great deal of time with them. But what I did play, I quite enjoyed. Yeah. I think the Nemesis yeah, system yeah. is one of the most unique um, and sort of cool ideas that I've seen in a video game for a long time. So. Mm. You play those ones still? Yeah. I, I played Shadow of Mordor and I really liked it. Um, it gave me some solid Assassin's Creed 2 vibes, but in the world of, of you know, obviously of Lord of the Rings. And I found that they handled, um, unlike Hogwarts Legacy, handled a story that was outside of the realms of anything that we knew in that world, but developed the world around it quite well. So giving us a character that wasn't somebody that we were, you know, privy to previously or someone that we had already known and loved, but, you know, a story that I think was equally as interesting as what the books presented. I think it just did a really good job. Um, but yet yet to play Shadow of War, I don't know if I ever will, but I don't know. 
it's I think it's it's a little bit gone and past it now, but mm. they were great games too. Vagonda! Vagonda! Did you guys play Return of the King or any of these Lord of the Rings games that come out at the turn of the century? I seem to remember like a real-time strategy Lord of the Rings oh, game, and there's, I, there's been heaps. Of and Lord I reckon, of the Rings games. like you could, I remember the the attack on Minas Tirith, and you could summon the army of the dead and have them sw- swan through oh, yeah. and just like kill all the enemy soldiers off. Mm. Like it was it was awesome, so much fun. I can't remember what one that what was. it was called. There's been but, quite a few. Um, yeah. And just a tidbit. Um, some more news. This is some extra Ooh, stuff for you. So give it to us. The guys over Amazon who developed the MMO New World are apparently in works of a new Lord of the Rings MMO, which is sort of some news that's come out in the last couple of days. So um, I think originally they were working on it at some point and it got shelved, but it sounds like it's come back to life. So anyone who's looking to get a Lord of the Rings fix in the not too distant future, there might be an MMO coming in the next. Excellent. Well, get it in you. Yeah. Smash your eyes on that one. Smash them right on it. All right, thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that, Ferg. Um, Steely. Steely, what do you got? What do you got for us? Oh, come at me. Oh, come I'm going to come. Um, <laughs> uh, I would love, I would love, love, love to, this is not going to be a remake or a sequel, but a reboot oh, of okay. Pokemon. Mm, now my reboot, yeah, yeah, it wow. I, a hard fucking reboot. I'm talking <laughs> like hard, um, harder than anything you could imagine. <laughs> um, you know, harder than rock, for for instance, or something hard. Um, so my my it's Pikachu. Oh, there you go. We fuck. can start with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, fuck right now. My reboot of Pokemon would be um, a really massive hard reboot, like I said, for the whole franchise. I think that the number of Pokemon is getting a bit ridiculous for a start, um, but also the gimmicks of each game, like the one in Sword and Shield where they basically turn into glittery fucking giants or... Um, in in Scarlet and Violet, where all the Pokemon are woke, and now they can just pop a fucking crystal and make them any like type fluid that they want to be or some shit. It's getting just a bit much. Um, if you're a water Pokemon, there is just no fucking way in hell that you can be a fire Pokemon at the same time. It just, it's just not possible. I'm sorry, Pokemon. Um, it's not possible. I just don't like that mechanic. It's stupid. So. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that was a good, good sound effect. Um, <laughs> so um, now for this, this means we're going back to Kanto. Obviously, I think going back to Kanto is it's a great idea. But the uh, the art style I want is to be incredibly stylized and to look like the old box art of Pokemon Red. You know, like that really um, anime reminiscent cell shaders, but with some really heavy RTX. So I'm talking beautiful lighting, a world that is incredibly vibrant and full. So I'm I'm talking like walking through Kanto and maybe it's autumn at the time and there's fucking autumn leaves fluttering across the from the maple trees across 
the Kanto region and there's you can f- almost feel the fucking wind pass pass you by because it's so beautiful. Um, that's the kind of shit that I want to see. So some amazing lighting and and uh, visual effects, but with that shell shaded uh, cell cell shaded style, I think would be fantastic. Um, I would also love for them to scrap the tacky ultra hyper soundtrack that these games have now. I mean. You can, even in something like Pokemon Legends Arceus, you're walking around in a world that's ancient. And I'm talking, it was an ancient game. It's about going back in time, basically. And the soundtrack is like... And I'm just like, are you fucking... Is somebody written this on acid? Because this does not fit the fucking game that it is for a start. Um, but... It's a bit, a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, but worse. Like that's good. Oh, okay. Um, because that was done on the fucking Game Boy. Pardon <laughs> the French. Um, yeah. Okay. That's uh... fighting a Pokemon. Anyway. Um. Mm. But yeah, I'd love for them to kind of go to a more natural sort of string and piano-based minimalist soundtrack. So if you're walking around in the world, you know something like on piano just hearing like the sounds of canto like would be really really nice like the wind bustling and you can hear pokemon in the distance and people chatting maybe and and just little bits of piano would be really beautiful and some little strings but and then when you reach gyms or you get into battles um for those big orchestral tunes those big battle tunes to flood in and the grandeur that we often think of when we think of the the Pokemon theme. And I'm not talking about the anime theme. I'm talking about like, you know, fucking yeah, you know, like um, really big sort of uh, those themes to come in when you get into a gym would be amazing and just the bigger tunes. So it gives the game a sense of nuance and, and, you know, and dramatically makes those bigger moments a little bit more worth it. Um, But to continue on, I'd have the Pokemon involved, obviously, being the original 151. And instead of them all just walking around and static in the world like I've seen in those other fucking filthy games that have come out on the Switch, I'd want them to really interact with the environment. So, you know, like, have fucking, you know, Diglets digging or Sandshrews digging through the sand and, like, burrowing around and interacting with other Pokemon, interacting with the player, Um I'd also like for, you know, the catching style to be a little bit more similar to Pokemon Legends Arceus where you're actually throwing a Pokeball. Um, But I'd love to see that the battles become a little bit more action-based. So instead of it being like, oh, throw you out and now it's turn-based, I'd love you to throw it out and you're controlling the Pokemon, but you have uh, obviously a limited move set and those moves have timed cooldowns for special moves instead of like the amount of times you can use them. I'd love a timed cooldown in a battle. You can only use it a certain amount of times um, until it cools down. You can then use it again. I think that would be really cool. Just add a dynamic to the actual battles that feels a little bit more like you're a part of it. And then, you know, those specific Pokemon will obviously control different and give players a lot more freedom in the way that they want to play. So if you're really into like being quite powerful and big and strong, you can have Graveler. He's a big guy. He's hard as fuck. And he's just bang, slamming down on shit. Or you can, if you like being really quick, but maybe not as strong with normal attacks, you fucking buzz around his Pikachu, man. Just fucking around that place. Um, 
but I also want Pokemon specific uh, specific uh, interactions. So um, interacting with certain parts of the world, um, like you know, cutting trees down with something that has cut in its move set again, instead of just like all of a sudden you've got the fucking dip shears and you can cut everything off now and you don't your Pokemon do fuck all now. Mm. Um, get them out of the balls and use them to interact with the world and actually utilize those Pokemon for meaningful ways across the world. You know, I want to get on the back of my Charizard if it knows fly and fly through the world on Charizard, not not on some fucking saddle on the back of one specific Pokemon that I just keep for flying around in like the other games have introduced. Um, but I also, you know, what about, what about Simo? Like you, you, you play, you, you play a character. I mean, I'm not sure. Are you playing as Ash or are you playing as just like a generic Pokemon trainer? I would like to, I'd like them to give you somebody that you can play as that actually has a story to tell, not just like miscellaneous character one who doesn't say anything. So you're playing Um, as a Pokemon trainer. Uh, you, you're walking through a field you stop to take a shit and then you look down and there's Diglett poking out of your asshole, like something like that. Is that uh, close to what you're talking about? That would come in the DLC. Yeah, the Diglett that DLC. That would come in the DLC. Yeah. Okay. And then you can, and then you, can um, you can change your dick size to being onyx length or normal length as well. Um, Wonderful. But... I want to feel like there's a reason to travel the world and see everything. I want the bicycle back. I'm sick of these Pokemon with fucking wheels on them. Um, <laughs> Pokemon aren't cars. I'm fucking sick of it. Um, I want to experience the world of Pokemon like I experienced the more traditional areas we visited in Japan with wonder, um, a sense of history, magic, and the, and the need to explore every corner of the map to fill my Pokedex um and perhaps you know go on a story that's told via cutscenes and voice acting and not poorly animated fuck boys and gym leaders pumping their fists in the air as if they might catch someone's asshole on it on the way down i i just i want emotion and depth and different environments i want pokemon kanto not red and blue not black and blue not we and poo pokemon kanto 60 fps rtx not a cash grab not developed by Game Freak because they fuck up everything they touch since Pokemon <laughs> Gold and Silver. Um, so uh, basically, yeah, Pokemon reboot it. That's um that mechanic that you're talking about when you're in an actual fight and charging up powers and abilities. I don't know if you guys have played Pokemon Go before, but there's a similar type of thing that they're trying to utilize in that where you do similar things. Yeah, right. Um. Mm. Yeah, just to make it a bit more interesting rather than just, you know, clicking a button and watching it as a turn-based thing. You actually, and there's a bit of a strategy on when you use your supercharged moves and there's abilities to put up these like yeah. blockers, shields and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, someone who's been, who's currently playing the Pokemon games at the moment, I sort of get where you're coming from. They've sort of ballooned to, I think, I don't know how many Pokemon they're up to now, but it's we're nearly cracking a thousand, I think. There is a lot of Pokemon um, oh man too many that's ridiculous so yeah too fucking many i can't see him ever doing it but i sort of think there's some yeah take me Make, back to the original 150 that's it just 150 yeah and just streamline just simplify the world and... you know like I think, kill them off call them yeah i think the world itself has just gotten far too like how futuristic can we make these things all the kids have fucking ipads now it's like why do you need an ipad when there's pokemon out there the game should be more about like just getting out and experiencing the world and looking around you. Like how somebody said um, uh, like that, that 
Tears of the Kingdom commercial is based off a, off a review for um, Breath of the Wild that came out. If you've all seen that, I don't know if you've seen it or heard about it. Um, seen has heard about this. Um, but it's basically about a, an office worker who um, never used to play games, hated his job. He would go to his job, do his work, come home and used to hate seeing all the mountains around him because he knew all the names of them, but just it reminded him of going to work. And then he started playing Breath of the Wild. And then when he started playing that game, he was on the train one day and he looks up at the mountains and he goes, oh, I think I, I wonder if I could go there or I wonder if I could climb that. And he started to view the world differently. I think to have a game like that where it makes you go, I just want to go and experience this or I want to go and visit this because I, I remember how much fun it was to do it in this game. I think it needs to be done. Just fucking wake up, Pokemon Company. You've got enough fucking money already. Just do something good. But anyway, <laughs> shit <to> bed. <laughs> All right, so next uh, we'll throw over to you, Casey, for which game you would like to see a sequel slash remake for. Yes, well, I'm not going to go into as much detail as Simon <laughs> went into very... I'm going to take a piss while she says this because like... I helped her with it, so... Oh, not really. <laughs> I haven't written anything. <laughs> Have fun. So, yes, mine, mine that I... Like you said, my intro with um, Paper Mario that I'm obsessed with, I was going to do that, but I think I've talked about that to death. I, I would really like to see a remaster of Legend of Zelda... Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, which came out on the DS. Now, I yeah, mm. that's right. <laughs> Epic. Yeah, I it, yeah. Has anyone played those games? Probably not. No. Um, I don't think so. Not those ones. No, they're not. They're very. They're a bit more unknown. These kinds of games because they're on the DS, and I don't know. They sort of felt like filler games to a lot of people. But I really, really, really enjoyed them. The only gripe I had with them was the controls. They were very painful with the stylus on the 3DS that I so played on the 3DS. Um, so I'd love to see a remaster of them on the Switch or, you know what, even better on whatever they come out with next because we're all waiting for it. But just to see, you know, like like I did with Link's Awakening, it was absolutely amazing, still top down, but it was beautiful and it really improved on the controls. And just see what they can do in terms of not using that stylus to control everything and try and make it yeah, like a bit more accessible to people now because I think that was a lot of people's gripe with the game was how painful it was with the stylus, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why I still haven't played it because fuck You played that. it? I played it for 15 minutes and went, I can't do this anymore. It feel, I feel like I'm writing a letter to somebody, <laughs> um, but I've had about 12 beers, I've shit myself, and I'm so no, fucking not, sick of not... my own life. I can't be fucked nah, to move. Yeah, okay. Emotional damage. But in saying that, they were brilliant games. They were amazing and the world was incredible. The story was unbelievable. And what would you call it? Cell shading? That's the type of game. Cell shaded graphics, yeah. Yeah, similar. So Simon was like, wouldn't it be great if it came out as sort of a trilogy on like in a pack for the Switch or whatever the new console is of Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks and Wind Waker because they're all similar. Because, you know, we're all waiting on a Wind Waker remaster or Wind Waker Mm. Yeah. yeah, remastered because they come out with one every single console. So why not? We're still have they had that done for the Switch yet? 
No, they it came out on the on the Wii Poo, but um Oh hang on. Unfortunately uh... <laughs> I just I'm I would really love to play it again on the Switch though. But I, I feel I, like it, seriously, I reckon those Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks need a place in today's Yeah new console because people are missing out who haven't played it because I think people would go nuts over it because it's got that time element for Phantom Hourglass, which was really challenging. And yeah, just with spirit tracks, you're on, you you move around on a train, which was really cool. I I feel like it would be great if we got it like Phantom Hourglass, spirit tracks, wind waker all in a bundle. I just said that. And then we got, listen to me. (laughs) And And then we got, um, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and Twilight Princess all in a bundle, all all remastered into HD. I think because they're very contrasting, very yeah. similar to the each. I just think they've done a lot of. They've done Twilight Princess to death remastered. They've done uh, Majora's Mask twice now. Mm-hmm. What do you mean they? twice? They've Didn't done it, it once. Oh, oh, just on three. All those games have had one remaster. Yeah, well, except for Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, it's ready. We're ready. We're ready for you. Yeah, yeah, ready. we're ready for it. So that's that. that's why. Yeah. Cool. That's me. All right. Well, pissed. Pissed. Thanks for that, uh, C Mac. Pissed. Now, uh, <laughs> I'm going to slightly skew off track, right, with this, but uh, <laughs> I would love to see Bethesda do a Fallout oh. Four type remake or direct sequel to Fallout Two. Now. Many people would be screaming into their prospective podcast players saying they already have. It's called Fallout 3. Now, you're not wrong, but Fallout 3 is set in the Fallout universe. However, it uses entirely different characters and scenarios. The game takes place in the year 2277, 200 years after the Great War on the east coast of the former United States. Uh, in an area now known as the Capital Wasteland, consisting mainly of Washington, D.C., though uh, also includes parts of the former states of Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. Uh, The player character is a teenager known as the Lone Wanderer who has grown up in Vault 101, and the Lone Wanderer searches uh, for their missing father, James, uh, played by Liam Neeson. Uh, Mm -hmm. Along the way, the Lone Wanderer becomes entangled in both a clash for survival uh, with the goal of trying to make clean, mass-produced, non-irradiated drinking water a reality again, uh, as well as a battle between the Brotherhood of Steel and the Enclave. Mm-hmm. So that's what Fallout 3 is about. But Fallout 2, uh, for those of you who haven't played it, and I gather it's probably all of you, um, the story continues from where Fallout 1 ends, so at the end of the original Fallout, the hero of the game, who was known as the Vault Dweller, was exiled by Vault 13's overseer for prolonged exposure to the outside world. So wouldn't wouldn't let him back into the uh, vault or him or her because you could play as uh, either gender. Uh, so unable to return home, the Vault Dweller with a group of willing companions travels far north. Uh, eventually they start their own tribal village called Arroyo, um, and, you know, decades have passed since the original Fallout and the Vault Dweller disappears from Arroyo after writing their memoirs. So in the time uh, since the Vault Dweller's exile, a new government has taken over uh, uh, the new California Republic, uh, the NCR, 
and they've begun to sort of build southern towns and everything and spreading further north. So it's a very very California-centric um, Fallout um, adventure. And, you know, there's a lot of California places that are sort of featured in the game, including New Reno uh, in Fallout 2. Um, and then I guess uh, Bethesda sort of did some revisiting of these areas with Fallout New Vegas. Um, but still, Fallout New Vegas wasn't a direct sequel to the old Fallout games. So um, in Fallout 2, uh, you're a descendant of the original Vault Dweller, 80 years in the future. Um, your village has suffered the worst drought on record and faced with this hardship, the village elder... Uh, asks you to, uh, uh, they call you the chosen one because you, you're the one that they choose to go out and try and save the village. You are asked to go and retrieve a Garden of Eden creation kit, the Gek, for Arroyo, and they believe this Gek uh, device will allow them to bring their community back to life magically. Like whatever this thing's got in it, it's you know a miracle machine. So uh, you're given nothing more than the Vault Dweller's jumpsuit, a Pip-Boy 2000, a Vault 13 water flask, and some cash to start the quest. Um, and so off you go, and you know the Fallout 2 sort of uh, journey takes place there. So what I'm talking about is a continuation of this California-based Fallout story where it explores what's happened to the cities from Fallout 2, such as the NCR, New Reno, Vault City, and the Den. Um, there's a number of recruitable characters in Fallout 2 that would be great to bring back and learn what happened to them. So you've got uh, Lenny the Ghoul, who you meet in the town of Gecko. Um, he's a character who was a child during the, the first uh, Fallout game, and... He's sort of grown up, and when he was a child, he saw the original Vault Dweller come to his town and save them by repairing a water pump, and, and he had the opportunity to join him and go on his adventure, and he was too scared, and he, he didn't go. And then when Fallout 2 comes around 80 years later, he's like, right, no, nah, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to miss this opportunity again. So he joins your crew. Um, you've got uh, Myron, the drug wizard uh, behind the uh, Moradino family, uh, he's the inventor of the highly addictive drug Jet. Um, and so he's a big part of the Fallout lore yeah. since Jet, you know, is still something that comes up right through to Fallout mm. 4 and beyond. No, I can confirm Jet is highly fucking addictive. It took me about, I don't know, three or six years to get off Jet. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you're talking about Jet Set Radio or uh, about the the, the no, band. I'm talking about the drug jet, Joel. <laughs> oh, okay. Fucking the game you're talking about. It is fucked. It's crippling. Well, <laughs> but it's wild. In uh, in Fallout never, 2, uh, Myron, uh, you can convince him to join you. Um, his value in combat is pretty fucked, but he has a very high science skill and he can manufacture chems like stim packs and, other, and super stim packs as well as drugs for your party. Uh, with a high enough intelligence and speech, uh, yeah, you can you can even convince him to give you the cure for jet addiction. So he's uh, he's got that tucked away under his belt. And then for those who have played Fallout 2, there's 
the character Sulik, who uh, is an NPC that joins you very early on. He's another tribal guy. Uh, he, when you first find him, he's a slave, and you can either kill the slavers and rescue him that way, or you can pay the slavers and buy his freedom. And then he he chooses to join you, and he fucking kicks ass. So uh, he's a specialist with melee weapons, and you give that guy a super sledgehammer, and he just fucking, he's like a machine. People. He just rips through them all. And uh, he's, uh, as as he's a tribal dude, he's got a, a giant bone through his nose, uh, which uh, he calls Grampy Bone, and he can uh, consult the uh, the spirits and uh, give you advice on uh, where to go. Nice. So like bring it. back those characters and continue that story of the original Vault Dweller and his descendants and, yeah, chuck us another bloody game in that era. It's a cool idea, JB. I like the idea of going and revisiting a game that's 20 years old and then bringing it into 2023 with, you know, what video mm. games are today and go back and, yeah, continue telling the story between what happens at the end of Fallout 2 and the happy happy ever after story, which doesn't really get fleshed out. It's, it's a cool idea. I, like I mean, as yeah. another idea, you could even set a game in the 80-year gap between Fallout 1 and Fallout 2, where you actually find out how the original Vault Dweller, what happens after he gets kicked out of Vault 13, where does he go, how does he get there, who does he meet along the way, who does he help along the way. I mean, even that is a pretty rich sort of area to to find a lot more story without having to invent a whole heap of new locations and new people. Um, I would mm. I would love to see uh, like a Fallout Four style first person shooter open world game, uh, but but using those original roots that were laid down by Interplay and Black Isle games back in the day. I think that's the um, probably the good and the bad thing with the Fallout universe in relation to your idea is that they've got endless capacity to take the story to any part of America, and there's so many different vaults there's an endless amount of stories that they can tell so yeah maybe that's one of the reasons they haven't gone back to join the dots but i like well, the idea interestingly enough one of the characters from fallout 2 a character named marcus who's a super mutant you meet mm. in the settlement of broken hills makes an appearance in new vegas Mm. So he's actually started a town called Jacob's Town. Yeah, that's it. And uh, you do actually bump into him in New Vegas. So, oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, and uh, interestingly, they he was voiced by an actor called Michael Dorn, who was uh, famous from uh, being in Star Wars The Next Generation. Uh, sorry, Star Wars, Star Trek The Next Generation. And um, he voices... Uh, the same character in Fallout 2 and Fallout New Vegas. So nice. um, they were they were good to maintain that continuity there. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get uh, hate mail for saying it was Star Wars, the next generation. Uh, that's a, no, yeah. you corrected yourself. It's okay. You corrected yeah. yourself. Yes. Yeah. What sort of Star Trek <laughs> that's, fan that's am important. I? Well, what kind of Star Wars fan? What was I think last week listening back to the podcast? I kept referring to the good and bad guys in the Star Wars universe as the Empire. So, 
You're probably not the only one getting uh, Star Wars and Star Trek fans <laughs> offside, JB. This guy. Well, I don't know what I'm on about. <laughs> and on that note, that brings us to the end of a, another Discerning Gamer podcast for this week. I would like to thank the DG crew, starting with Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Thank you. Thanks, JB. Always a pleasure, mate. The good and the bad guys, uh, Simon Steely <laughs> McLaughlin. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm both. I'm Jekyll and Hyde. I'm Mr. Um, I'm the Steel Man. Whatever. What did Ferg say earlier feel on? The, feel Just, the steel. <laughs> feel the steel. Yeah, feel the, feel the fucking steel, everyone. And yeah, last but you. not least, fresh from Star Trek Return of the Jedi, <laughs> it's none other than Casey C. <laughs> Mac McLaughlin. Thanks, uh, Pisty. Thanks, Joel. If I knew what that meant, I'd laugh too. Yeah, because it's called Star Wars. <laughs> and he said Star Trek. And okay. if you want to send us your hate mail, you can find us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and uh, sometimes on YouTube, although that's uh, been a little bit quieter than I would have liked. And uh, we'll bloody see you next week. See ya. Bye. If it's too quiet, mate, just turn up the volume. Just turn it up. That's all you got to do. If you can't hear it, turn it. Just turn it up. Just turn up the volume. What can I say?